good to see you at church today. Um, it's my real pleasure. I'm privileged to introduce to you and to interview a incredibly inspiring couple I've had the privilege of getting to know just over the last two or three years recently. And their story has um, just inspired me. It's just amazing what God has done through them. We're going to hear some of that in a moment. But if you've been around Kings over the last couple of months, you'll know that we've been um, in a teaching series in the book of Acts, in the Bible. Acts tells us what the first ever followers of Jesus did, the first churches, how they lived. And, and what we've seen as we've gone through the pages of Acts is that God used ordinary men and women in extraordinary ways to turn the world upside down. That's what we've called um, the series. And um, we've talked about the fact this is just ordinary people like us who have been with Jesus. And they changed lives and cities and nations. And a couple of weeks ago, young Harry Lunt was preaching it. Put your hand up if you're here to listen to Harry. Numbers of you were. Harry was talking about um, radical obedience. From the book of Acts, he was talking about the story of Philip. And the Holy Spirit said, led Philip to go down south to the desert road. But he didn't know why he was going there or what the purpose was of going there, but he went. And then there's this incredible encounter with an Ethiopian, and uh, we see the story unfold. But it wouldn't have happened if Philip hadn't been obedient to the promptings of God. And um, that's how the kingdom of God spreads. Ordinary men and women like us who have been with Jesus, who have met Jesus, who hear God speak, and then in obedience we follow what he says. And this um, couple that I'm about to introduce to you are a couple that have lived that out in their family in extraordinary ways. Um, that's taken them from England to the Channel Islands to China and back into England again in a huge adventure on the way, which we're going to hear about this morning. So I wonder, can you give your best massive Mid-Sussex welcome, please, to Rob and Liz Glover. Thank you. Morning again. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming. Um, it'd be great for these guys to know actually where is home for you now. So where, where do you guys live? Um, we live up in Norfolk. Um, and in fact, we've got a house in Norwich, but we're, we're in the process of moving out into the countryside. Oh, is that right? Fantastic. And you came down last night to yeah. be with us. These guys, honestly, if you follow them on social media... Um, you're like in a different country like every week, it seems to me. And so the fact that you've taken out time to be with us is hugely um, uh, important for us. And we want to thank you so much for that. Um, we're going to hear a little bit about the story of um, the charity that you founded, Care for Children. And actually, in the King's Life magazine, some of you may have read, there's a bit of an article about these guys in there. Just kind of give us the headlines. What is Care for Children? We'll start there, and then we'll go back and yeah. tell the story. Um, well, I worked in social services in the UK for some time and I had the opportunity to go to China um, and um, initially funded by the British government, so it was government to government. And uh, the idea was to place 300 children from the Shanghai Orphanage uh, into local families through um, family placement. So it's really to set up in a system. Um, and um, interesting, I was talking uh, yesterday about those early days, you know, of going into China and being very sensitive to culture and the Chinese. And I always remember when I, I had a little office in the orphanage uh, in Shanghai, um, and I asked the, the chap who was sent to look after me, what do people think about me being here? And 
his response was, um, well, a third, um, the old guard really don't want you in here. Um, there's a third that really couldn't care less because they're only coming in to get their work and their money. And there's probably a third that's quite, um, you know, inquisitive. Um, and during that time, I just remember, I, during lunchtime, uh, the, all the staff would have a, they had a refractory where they all ate together in a canteen. I wasn't allowed in there in the early days. And uh, I was very conscious about using my, um, my eyes and my ears, not my mouth, and just listening and learning. And um, what I did notice at lunchtime, though, that the, the older lads would kick a football around. This is where the football comes in. Um, and having played a bit of football, I used to join in with them. And f from this lunchtime sort of kickabout, it moved into forming a team and training them for six months. And then sending home to my team in, uh, that I'd played for in the UK, Norwich City, they sent out a strip, a yellow and green. And um, so they became the Shanghai Canaries. And we entered them into the Shanghai Schools Trophy. Uh, five of the boys um, couldn't speak uh, and couldn't hear. Some, uh, they all had disabilities. One lad didn't, only had one arm. And, um, but we trained them well, and they got to the final. Uh, the Shanghai Schools Trophy, and they played against the American school in the final. Can you believe it? Um, so this grabbed the attention of the mayor of Shanghai. He turned up, and uh, resiliently we went on to win 5-3. Um, and which, very Shang Shanghai, uh, Chinese people are very pragmatic, very practical. The Shanghai mayors, they presented the trophy to these boys. His words were, all your life you've been losers, today you're a winner. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that, I'm just going to finish off, that broke that kind of feeling. And a few weeks later, the, uh, sorry, the, um, uh, the old Madam Wong who was in charge of the orphanage knocked on my door all the staff behind, and there was my bowl, which meant I could eat with them in the canteen, which was a big thing for me. Amazing. So when you say you played a bit of football, you were a professional football of Norwich City. You also became associate director, one of the directors of the football club. And actually, let's not talk about football. I've started a conversation with Rob about football before, and we never stopped, and that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, we're going to show a short film of a particular project, because you went initially um, to start a project with 300. That's obviously grown. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this particular Care for Children project, just introduce the film for us. Yeah, it is remarkable. We only, uh, we came to this village a few years ago. Um, Dave Devonish and um, uh, Francis Chan wanted to come to China with me. We were really there to look at the house church and just get a feel of what was going on in Christianity in China. Um, and that was fascinating, meeting lots of friends I'd met over the years in China. But we ended up in this village um, uh, for the last two days. And um, it was, Francis Chan was just blown away. He said, this is why God's brought me here, um, to meet these people. This village is a Lisu minority. They're 100% Christian. And they decided through searching through the Bible that they needed to take care of orphans. And it's just incredible to see what they have done. Great, guys. If we could run that film, that'd be fantastic. Have a look at the screen. The children had a, had a very tough life before they were found by the policemen or be collected to the orphanage. They've been abandoned. 
And you imagine being abandoned in a city at a very young age and not having anyone to fend for you. And we know where the children have maternal deprivation, they will develop sometimes mental illness, physical illness, and even die. In the orphanage, they had an institutional care, which means that they got good infrastructure facilities, but they're not able to get any kind of family love or care. here is because this is a very special project. This lovely village is doing something marvelous. People here, they give their real heart to the children. They love the children and they support each other. I feel like I've been a lot of places um, around the world and I just don't know that I've ever seen a more beautiful group of people. It's taken 17 years to get to this place. This is the dream that came, has come true. To see, you know, not only the mothers and fathers, but the brothers and sisters, the uncles and aunties, and then the extended family, the whole community come together. A lot of the work initially goes in in the orphanage, which is in Kunming, two hours from here, training the parents uh, and preparing the children. The children need preparation as well. All the children we placed with this village uh, from the Kuming orphanage and up to 99% have difficulties, physically and mentally. We believe that um, you know, families are good for children. Every child needs a mother and a father. You know, there is real detail gone into caring for these children here. And I think that's one of the real important things. You see these children in families and you just try to imagine where would they be if this wasn't here. Yesterday, the, the, the little performance they did was just a pleasure to see. And, I, and that just spoke volumes to me that, you know, here's a community that put those children first. fantastic quality of life here for these children. There's no, no comparison to living in, in an orphanage. You know, how, however good it is, an institution doesn't offer children that lifestyle. Uh, what we want to do now is go to the next stage and give them the opportunity of a good education, good medical uh, services, uh, and just really be able to help them get the best quality in life that we can, can give them. They had a uh, miserable life in the past, but I think they are enjoying the love from the local families now. The parents told us the happiest uh, moments they got um, in the last 10 years. 
is when they heard the children start calling their mom and dad. This is going to stick with me. It's going to challenge me every day because most days I wake up and I think about myself and what I want, and I think that's what most of us do. That's not what these people do. They, they wake up and, and just immediately start tending to the needs of others. So at Care for Children, we want to see a million children placed back into families because we believe that will make a significant difference to those children's lives. And we ask that you would stand with us and invest into these children's lives, that we might see a generation of children grow up in families. What a difference that would make. It's just a fantastic story in that statistic that is that 53 families have taken in 166 children into their homes, out of institutional care into families, which is the whole vision of, of Care for Children. I know you mentioned in the video there that the vision is to see a million children into families. You started with 300 in Shanghai. How's it going now? Well, interestingly, um, we heard the number rise over the years as we cover across China. Um, last week, or last month, sorry, we were in uh, Shanghai for a conference and um, we had uh, Professor Chu from the National Statistics Bureau um, in Beijing and he told us that 85% of children living in care in China today are in families. Um, so I was quite intrigued by that. Well, what does that 85% um, you know, equate to? Because when we started, there wasn't a word for substitute family placement. So um, the three professors all agreed that it was over a million children. Just unbelievable. Just need to just underline that because when you went in the nation, there was no family placement care at all. It didn't exist. So the pilot project you began in Shanghai, or 300, has now grown to see a million children placed into families, 85% of those in care, which is just incredible incredible statistics but obviously it's 20 years you've just had your 20 year anniversary it began 1998 i think is when the charity began just tell us a little bit of the journey because you you went to china but obviously you were living elsewhere how did god lead you to go because that's a big step from uk to china talk us through that process a bit it was um we were living in guernsey and i think um, we got to the place where we wanted uh, to do god's will I think that's the really important bit that, um, you know, obedience and faith. Um, and probably for me, it needed something to shake me up um, to be able to, to respond to that. Um, I had some prophetic words that were given. At the time, I thought they were quite crazy. Um, the first was um, quite some years back, uh, we were in Guernsey, and uh, Dave Devonish came to the church um, I didn't really know much about who and what Dave Devonish was, but um, uh, and I was sitting at the back because I wasn't too sure what the whole prophetic thing was about. 
Um, and he came, of course, straight through to the back, and he prayed with me. And he said that um, as he was praying, he just sensed God was saying, I'd be father to as many children as there are stars in the sky. And I thought, what a silly man. That, you know, it's, uh, <coughs> that is absolutely important. You know, it's crazy. You know, have you seen how many stars are up there? And so, but it's sort of one of those things that lodges in your brain and, you know, you, it keeps ticking over. Um, 1996, I was at uh, Stonely Bible Week where we, we all used to come together up in uh, Stonely in the Midlands. And um, I was doing youth work. And um, at the end of this session, uh, uh, an Australian guy came up and said, could I pray? And I thought, yes, always welcome a bit of prayer. And he prayed. And uh, again, he had this prophecy. He said that uh, within this year, I sense God is saying you're going to be an earthquake. And it's where God wants you to be. I thought, stupid man, he doesn't realize we don't have earthquakes in England. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and so, you know, obviously carried on with it. And um, uh, actually within that year, things quickened up. And that was when um, I had the opportunity to go to China. Um, and um, just before we left, I went with a friend who, was, who brewed cider in, um, in Devon. And uh, we were going to travel together. And just before we left, a little girl, you know, the church gathered around us to pray for us to go to China. And this little girl had a picture. She saw us taking an Olympic torch um, into China, you see. And um, off we went. And we got to Shanghai, which was remarkable. All m since I was a boy, I always had a fascination for China. Uh, all my friends were looking at America and Hollywood and I was just fascinated about China, you see. And we landed, and there's all these Chinese people. And a lady came out of the crowd and gave me a ticket to the Special Olympic Games. And, of course, my friend said, no, 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 we don't want to go to that. And I said, yes, we do. Um, I remember that little girl, you know, that talks about Olympic torch. We should go. And so we got these tickets, and they were numbered. And um, he um, sat next to the chairman of Foster's Lager, can you believe? So they had a great time talking about brewing and stuff, and, uh, and, and I, uh, you know, I got the bad deal. I was sitting next to this senior member of the Communist Party, and, and, you know, and we're Christians, and, you know, we're 007 Christians, so we're not going to let on to anybody. Well, he started to talk, and he talked about the Cultural Revolution, and it was fascinating. And then he started to talk about, you know, the fact that um, he was raised in a mission school, and I thought it was impossible. And he kept going on about, you know, Christianity. And he, he said something quite funny. He said, you know, all the work I do for the children is for my father looking up. And I thought, he's trying to catch me out, isn't he? And I'm not going to tell him. And, but I don't know if you ever had this. I had this sort of fluttering of the heart. And before I, before I could control my mouth, I said I was a Christian and would come with a heart to serve. And this, the, the kind of ceremony had finished and everybody was moving off. And he said, which hotel are you staying in? And I told him, he said, I'll pick you up at 8.30 tomorrow morning. And I was feeling a bit nerve worried about this, you see. And, uh, <coughs> of course, James had had a great time with Mr. Foster's, and he's beaming away, going down this dark tunnel as we we're coming out of the stadium. And he says, you're looking a bit worried, Rob. What's, what's the problem? I said, well, I'm not sure I've done the right thing. I, you know, that senior member of the Communist Party, I've told him we're Christians, and he's picking us up at 8.30 tomorrow morning. <laughs> Anyway, we went into a luncheon and had a great time. I, I loved the food. The Chinese food was beautiful, amazing. I kept complimenting them on the food. 
And, you know, there was some other foreigners there, and they were all criticizing him, you know, wagging their fingers, telling them off. And I think, you know, how, you know, how stupid, you know. Yeah, and I just uh, kept complimenting on the food. And the, actually, they brewed beer. It was quite nice. actually called Qingdao beers. And um, so apparently the senior guy, because we didn't know any of this, and, and, and what we didn't know is in China, everything's done through guangqi, the word guangqi, which is like relationship, friendship. You do everything through food and eating and talking. And, and there's all these other foreigners going, telling them off and wagging their fingers. So this guy said, get rid of these guys and bring Robert back for dinner. So I went back to dinner with more food, more lovely Chinese food, and we got talking about various different things. And at the end, he said, will you come back and help us? I thought, wow, that is amazing. In my mind, I thought, well, that's great. Liz can come up. We can have a holiday once a year, bring some videos and books and things, and that would be, be great, see? So I agreed, and off I went, and went back to the hotel, and there was a, a wedding, a Chinese wedding going on, and we got you know, immersed into this wedding. It was a great time. We, we end up giving speeches and <laughs> blessings and, you know, toasts and all this stuff. I mean, a fantastic time with all these people. And exhausted, went back to our room, you see. And, and James, my friend, said to me, are you rocking my bed? I said, no, certainly not. And we noticed the curtains were moving and looked out the window, people running about. And I remembered there was always a lady on the floor that took note when you came in and when you came back. I thought, she'll tell us what's going on. So I went out to find her. She'd gone. All the doors were open. And as I stood in the door frame, I just heard the Australian man. Within this year, you'll be in an earthquake, and it's where God wants you to be. And it was 6.4 on the Richter scale. And Shanghai didn't often have um, earthquakes. So I thought, wow, God wants me here. Anyway, I went, we went up to Xi'an, Beijing, and the next thing, I was back in Guernsey at my desk, thinking, was I really on the Great Wall of China yesterday? And the phone rings, and I pick up the phone. It's the foreign office in London. Uh, you need to come to London pretty quickly. Um, really? Oh, dear. So I thought I was in trouble. Um, anyway, we went to the foreign office, and here were all these foreigners again, you see, and uh, they... they they showed me around the foreign office, met the minister, so I thought, oh, I must be all right. And uh, eventually, they, they, uh, the question came out, how did you do it? And I said, well, I'm not sure I understand the question, but I'm, even if I answered it, I'm not sure you'd un answer it, you know, understand it. And of course, they got rid of these other people, and apparently they were from UNICEF and other big NGOs. They were trying to form some relationship between the two governments. And they said, they don't want to work with them, they want to work with you. So if you go, we'll fund it. Uh, so I thought, wow, this is a bit different, because uh, originally we were talking about videos and books, and suddenly we're now talking about going. So I went backwards and forwards to negotiate with the Shanghai government, and we sat around a table. Um, and by this time, we were quite good friends. You know, We'd eaten lots of food together. And they said, um, we want to give you a Chinese name, because if you're going to write reports for us, you've got to have a chop at the bottom that we know that you, you've done, you see. And uh, uh, so it was great. And they, off they went talking. They went on for ages. I understand a word they were talking about. And one guy stood up and said, um, well, look, you know, it's in China. It's really good to have a good meaning. And we want to tell you what the meaning of your name is. And he said, uh, as many stars there are in the sky, you'll be father to children in China. <laughs> so that was it, really. <laughs> They're amazing.
Just phenomenal. And sometimes we talk about the prophetic here at King's. We believe God speaks today. God speaks through prophetic words. And um, sometimes there's an approach that we have to prophetic words that we have to think about because sometimes we can dismiss them a little bit easily. Like we hear a word and think, yeah, yeah, we've heard a word. There's three words here that are massively significant. It could be a father, as many stars in the sky, and then they give you that name in Chinese. There's the word that where there's going to be an earthquake, you'll be, and you find yourself that day in an earthquake in the 18th floor of a hotel. And the third one, the little girl prophesies over you about an Olympic torch. You go to the Olympics, and you just happen to sit next to a senior member of the Communist Party, which is the door into Shanghai. The prophetic opens doors for God to work. We must take it seriously as we hear prophetic words. But the move to China wasn't straightforward. Liz, maybe you can talk a little bit about this because it wasn't just you two. You've got six children. Six children. Massive respect to someone of four. Massive respect to six. And um, I think we've got a photo, guys. Is that okay? Show the photo. Because this was the age they were when you were going or around about that time. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about your family and how it was to move them to China? Um, That's just before we left. So um, I've got Rachel's 10, Lois is eight, Megan six, Rachel 12, Lois 10, <laughs> Megan, sorry, I can't even count around children. Megan was eight, Anna was six, and the twins were four. Wow. So um, that was just before we left. But um, yeah, I, I think um, something that that um, was happening around that time. Actually, I I didn't become a Christian until 1990. So I'd only been a Christian six years when God called us to China. Um, That's an encouragement to anyone who's a new Christian here, you know. Don't um, count yourself out. God wants you to be obedient. He he can give you all you need to to do what he wants you to do for him. And... um, yeah, so we had been stirred by the Holy Spirit, and w- Robert was working in social services. I was a trained nurse, but a full-time mum of six. And we were just saying, you know, saying to God, we want to give everything to you. We want to work for you. We want to to wholeheartedly um, be a family for you. Um, and we, I think we'd, we'd start to pray as a family um, this on a regular basis. And we prayed for about a year <coughs> before God started to speak um, prophetically and through the things that Robert just shared. But um, I suppose one of the things is that we, we didn't just pray as parents. We, we prayed together as a family. We felt that um, we were a strong family unit. We're passionate about family. Um, we're passionate about biblical family and um, so everything that we did we did um, as a family we we worshiped together we prayed together um, and every little step of the way we shared with the children so um, yeah when God did call um, I think our children were were prepared just um, I just I didn't share this in the other other meeting but also one of the things that we learned as well that God as you've heard, loves to speak through our children. And often he can speak very clearly. And so we also encouraged our children when we were praying and things. We said, God might give you an image or a picture, or he might give you a word or something and encourage the gifts of the Spirit to come through our children as well. Um, 
So yeah, that was that was a special time. And then um, when God did tell us um, that we were going to China, um, we told the children. And one of the reactions we got from our second daughter was, you know, she would cry quite regularly. And we just thought, oh, she's going to miss her friends. Um, but later on, she said, when we got to China, we'd been there a little while, she said, Mum, do you know why I kept crying? And I said, yeah, because you were going to miss your friends. And she said, no, someone had said at school that they kill Christians in China, and I thought you were taking us to die for Jesus. And she is the most radical wow. girl now. She's just actually about to go out with her own family to spend two years with Jackie Pullinger. Wow. But they, um, yeah, she's, she, because at that early age, tender age, she was actually prepared to go and die for Jesus. Even though we were taking her, she was prepared to go. You know, she wasn't running away from home or anything. She was, she was going. And, oh yeah. I was just going to say, because um, when she announced to me that she was going to take my little grandson, who's two, my little granddaughter, to Hong Kong, I said, well, hang on a minute, are you, are you sure? You know, I mean, these, these, are, these are little <laughs> tiny children. She said, hang on, Dad, you did it. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, yeah, that was one of the experiences. The other thing is that the children were all allowed... Well, we, we felt that because God had called us in such a way that we needed to respond. So we gave everything away. We lived in Guernsey, farmhouse, meadow, 40 chickens. And, um, but we felt that we needed to do something that was um, sort of quite radical. So we gave everything away. People came, someone had the car, someone had the washing machine. We still go to Guernsey occasionally and someone will say, come to our house and see the wardrobe that we came, got from your house. And um, yeah, so we gave everything away. And then on the, the morning that we left, um, actually the children were allowed two things to put in a memory box to keep. So um, they, they each, and one of my daughters, uh, packed a pair of adidas trousers and I said you know you won't be able to wear them when you come back you'll be too big and she said I don't care I love my adidas trousers I waited so long to have them they're, they're precious so yeah so um, they did that and then on the morning all we had left was mattresses that we slept on so we decided that we'd pull our mattresses out of the house and up on a little hill and set fire to them and sort of pray and say goodbye to Guernsey. And so that's what we did with our little four-year-olds. And um, then someone picked us up to go to the airport. So that, you know, there was, there was no sort of, um, uh, what can I say? Our children sort of knew very clearly what we were doing. They, it was um, just a strong response to what God had said. So It's amazing. We might come back to that a little bit later, actually, about... Yeah because uh, I've met some of your children now, they're all grown up and big. But let's just talk to you. You arrive in China, um, you're in Shanghai, your six children are there, and you're there for a specific project to work with one orphanage and 300 children. You've just told us that it's now a million children. What's the steps from one project to this national program that's been rolled out? Yeah, so um, Shanghai, it was very much Shanghai. We got extended to about five years we were in Shanghai. Um, and we actually placed about 500, so we thought we'd done r r really well. And we had an international evaluation, which came out really well for the Chinese. This was a time where, in China, they were getting you know so much um, 
bad publicity everywhere in the media, and here was something they were doing well. Um, so we decided that we needed to go um, into other cities. The Shanghainese weren't too pleased about that. Um, but we went to Kunming, uh, where this, the village comes from, and we started a project there. We went to Chengdu uh, in the west in Sichuan province, and then up into um, Ningxia, which was way Muslim minority. And uh, we saw the same thing, you know, just children's lives transformed. And then there was one little girl in Chengdu that was given to us with skin and bone, really. She, she'd got a heart problem. Uh, we were told that she would probably die and that it would be a place for her, you know, to be comfortable in her last days. Well, I went back, I think, two, two, just over two years later, and she was just a picture of health. She got chubby cheeks. She was a cheeky little thing. She is in a ballerina outfit. She'd been um, to a ballet class, and she was showing us all her moves. And um, she was there in a hospital to have checks because they thought she's so strong and healthy now, we can do the operation on her heart. Um, the consultant surgeon came out, wiped a tear from his eyes, and said, I can't understand it, but her, there's nothing wrong with her heart. And uh, it hit national news in China, um, made national news, um, which was quite unique, actually. They called it the miracle baby healed by the love of a mother. And that really changed the scene in China, and that's when they started to ask, invite us to move from Shanghai to Beijing and roll out the program nationally. Um, and we initially went for 15 provinces. Halfway through that, they started, they changed, often governments change, and this is what we're finding in some of the other uh, countries we're working in. And the new minister came in, and he wanted to build big orphanages again. And I'm thinking, oh no, we're going backwards. And I remember going through um, down into uh, uh, Guizhou in the south of China. <coughs> and I'd been to this orphanage, and it, and it was a brand new orphanage. And I was thinking, I started to scratch my head and think, you know, it's really quite nice. And they've got, you know, I mean, the kids have all got nice clothes. They've got nice food. And, you know, they've got great place to play and, and schools and everything. And I was getting a bit worried and thinking, am I doing the right thing? Because we're putting these kids in quite poor families in the villages. Anyway, we took a um, minibus out to this village. Um, had the name of the orphanage on the minibus. And I got out and I was confronted by this little boy who was about this high with a bamboo stick. And he was so angry. He wanted to fight me. And I was stood there. It was gate you know, David and Goliath referred. There was this little tiny boy, and he was swinging this. Why is he so angry with me? So I asked someone to translate his words, and passionately he said, you see, yesterday I climbed that tree. I got to the top of the tree, and when I was at the top of the tree, all the village came out. They all know my name, and they're calling my name to come down. And you see, this dog, he's my dog. He belongs to me. No, no one else's dog. He's my dog. And over across the field there, when I go across the field into the school, my dog waits for me. When I come out, he follows me back into the village. And, and auntie over there, she gives me an apple every day. She knows my name. They all know who I am in this village. And over there, uncle always gives me some biscuits. And he knows who I am. And I have a mum and a dad. And I have brothers and sisters. And I'm not going back to that orphanage. And suddenly, I could see that he had everything. In that village, 
He had identity, security. They all knew who he was. No one knows who a child is in an institution. Just another number. It's my dog. You can't have a dog in an orphanage. These are my uncles, my aunties. And so he had everything he needed in that village. And I, it really spurred me on. God really showed me in that little boy that we need to press on and see more and more children placed in the family. So we went then from 15 to 30 provinces. And in um, 2015, I was in England. I was at the Leaders' Conference in London. And I came out in CCTV, which is the Chinese BBC, basically. They said, are you Robert Glover? I said, yeah. They said, can we interview you? I said, but why? And they said, well, come into Hyde Park and we will do an interview. I hadn't got a clue. And uh, as, we, as they interviewed me, they said, um, do, do you know that the Chinese government have changed the law? And, and a tear went down my hair. It took 17 years, but God was faithful. He changed the law in the nation of China that every child has a right to a family, which was marvelous. Fabulous. Just amazing. And um, it started, obviously, you guys in China and Shanghai, but just tell us now, because doors are opening up into other nations, is that right? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, from, um, basically, from China, then, obviously, China's a big influence on the rest of uh, Southeast Asia. So we got invited into Thailand. We're now working in all the orphanages and... Uh, um, um, the, the, the security homes and um, they uh, now placing children there. We've started a new project in Vietnam. Um, we've just been invited into Cambodia, into Indonesia. Um, so the, the work is huge. Um, there's a, we believe there's about 8 million children still living in institutions. Um, we just met with the Minister of Indonesia they have 750,000 children living in institutions. And so they've invited us down to go and work with them. Um, so the opportunity uh, is bigger than actually we can manage. We're a very small organization. But, you know, we, we try to go where God, you know, is calling us to go. Yeah. And, and um, I've got a story about <coughs> where not to go sometimes. You know, we get all puffed up about things. I tell you the story? So this is a little lesson. Um, so I, very early on in China, I got a call from New Delhi, and, um, and I missed it. And, and it was a time where we didn't have much money, so I, should I ring this? Curiosity got the bet, and I rang the number back, and uh, the Indian guy said, oh, Mr. Glover, when are you coming to New Delhi? I said, well, I'm not. No, no, you must be coming to New Delhi. I said, but why? I, I, I you know... No purpose in New Delhi. And he, anyway, he said, wait there. And he ran off. And then uh, I heard a lady's footstep come back. And um, she, uh, she said the same thing. Mr. Glover, when are you coming to New Delhi? So I said, well, who's speaking? She said, my name is Maneka Gandhi. I'm Minister of Social Justice for India. We want you to come to India. I thought, I better go, you know. This is God's calling me to India and China. China and India is half the world's population. I got quite, you know, I talked to Liz and we thought, wow, this is amazing, you know. And um, so initially I went on my own to um, India and I had an awful time. I arrived uh, late at night and uh, 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 had an awful time. Uh, the, she took me around places and I just cried for a whole five days, saw people on the streets. I, uh, um, 
I saw people, you know, in dreadful situations. She took me to um, some of the homes for young women uh, that had HIV AIDS and little children. And it was, oh, it was awful. I had a bad experience myself, um, which was quite demonic. Um, I'm not, I don't know why I share it because there's children in here, but it was, it was enough that, you know, it, it caused me concern. I rang home and asked Liz to pray for me. And I went through all these things, went through orphanages where there clearly wasn't any safeguarding or any support. I was thinking, how on earth could you work in a place like this? And as I was on the plane home, I audibly heard God say, well, I didn't call you Indian. Get back home. And I think sometimes it's a lesson that we can uh, feel like there's something bigger and better and actually know God. If we'd have gone to India at that time, we probably wouldn't have done what we'd done in, in China. So it was really important to learn that lesson early on, not to go where you're not called to go. Liz, um, earlier on you were talking a little bit, like all your kids are grown up now. I know many of them are really on board with the Care for Children vision. And I think one of your daughters is in one of these other nations, is that right? Serving in another nation. How have you kind of, I feel this as a pastor, I, I want my kids to feel part of the mission of what we're doing here in the local church and not to feel these are separate things. There's a family life and then there's this mission thing that we do. How have you kind of trusted God with your kids and help them to carry the the vision of what you're doing as well yeah. um well when we were leaving um we had people pray around us and someone prayed um because you've sought first the kingdom of god um god will bless your children and i think there is a truth in that i think um there's scriptures aren't there that we can sometimes look at and think, what did what did God mean by that? But there's um, the scriptures where Jesus said, unless you you leave mother and father and and field for my sake, and then if you don't love me more than, and I think um, sometimes when God um, wants us to respond to Him and be obedient, we can sometimes think, oh, but I can't do that until my children have left school, or I can't do that. But actually, God's got them very very close and when he calls I think if you're a family if you're married he calls you together the um, family the family unit is is something that God has set up for the health of his his people for for mankind actually and um, so we were very aware of that and we everything we shared with our children when we traveled we always prayed together when one of us was traveling we always prayed together when um, when there were situations the children were involved with those situations we shared everything with them um, and then there was one night where um, we've been there um, a year and a half two years <coughs> and my children had great education in Guernsey but when we were in China we didn't have funding for education there wasn't free education and so the children's education was really quite poor. And I woke up in the middle of the night, you know, dark night, um, as we were singing about. And um, I just suddenly panicked and thought, what have I done? My children, they're suffering. And um, I came downstairs and made a cup of tea. It was the middle of the night, dark. And I opened my Bible. I just said, God, I need you now. 
And um, I started to read, and it was um, where the first miracle of Jesus, where he um, was turning the water into wine at the wedding of Canaan. And as I read, God just said, Jesus took six clay pots and filled them with the best wine. And I just said, oh, thank you, Lord. That's what they need. Um, we so often think that our children need amazing education or materialistic things or um, just things that the world has to offer. But actually, it's a lie. They need Jesus to fill them. And I think from there, I just thought, yeah. Um, and God has been very faithful. And they all love the Lord and serve him. Another thing, that I, another practical thing, <clears throat> I would say, especially to to um well to parents really that we i think there is um, a model that is given through the bible and we're in days where um that model potentially could be broken down i think family life the enemy is after family life across across the globe and so um i think we have to be really serious about god's word and read god's word and say if that is what god's word said then that's good enough for me for the model for for mothers and fathers and um, husbands and wives and for our children. And, and I think we need to teach that to our children and train our children in that. Um, there was something else I was going to say. Um, yeah. I think um, prayer is absolutely fundamental in the sense that <coughs> while if you're overseas and, you know, you never know what you're going to eat and so you want to be praying about it because you actually may well get sick. So... You know, prayer actually becomes important, especially when you've got children. And I think, you know, being out of culture, sometimes you be develop a very strong unit in prayer. And so we wake up every morning in prayer because there's so many things can go wrong. If you've got a child that doesn't speak Chinese and gets lost on the way. And so there would always be this covering of prayer every morning. Every mealtime we would pray. And if we were out, I think it was a little bit of... Um, I don't know, if we, we were in a restaurant, we would make sure we prayed because it was like a witness to all our Chinese friends, you know. What are they doing? If we were in a, uh, an airport, we would have a huddle where we would all pray, and you'd get Chinese coming around because they're very, you know, very in, 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 you know, inquisitive, and they'd come around and want to know what you're doing, and then you'd end up bringing them in, and they'd join in with you, not knowing what they were doing. But, you know, the, the prayer was really fundamental, not because... We were being religious about prayer. It was, it was you know, it, this was vital. We need to pray for protection. We need to pray for our food. We need to pray, you know, when someone's traveling and when someone's coming back. So it, it became very much part of, you know, our family life. Yeah, um, I just remembered. Um, also, with our children, what I found, we were in China, of course, in the cities. There's a lot of poverty, but there's a lot of poverty around us now in the United Kingdom. There's a lot of things going on. And um, we did a lot of ministry to the poor as well. And our children were included in that. In fact, our children tell stories today about um, meeting the needs of the poor. And just to say that we, we know that's biblical, but it's very biblical for families. Um, the, the wife of noble character was instructed and said that she took care of the poor. In Titus 2.3, a woman is called to take care of the poor, and it's and it's given in a family um, 
environment. So that's just something that I'd say to you as well. Involve your children in ministry to the poor right from early on. It's interesting in that Paddington Bear, there's the woman that yeah. went to Paddington. Sure, sure. Guys, <laughs> Guys, time is gone, and there's uh, so many things I'd love to ask you, but time is gone. I want, really want you to pray for us. Now, in this series that we've been doing, there's no point just doing a teaching that's all theoretical. We're wanting to encourage us in our lives to be obedient to what God calls us to. And for some, that might be to the ends of the earth, to China. For others, obviously, it will be to our neighbours. Uh, to people that we work with, to family members, to things that happen in mid-Sussex. And the call to actually step out and trust God and be obedient is exactly the same. Um, you've got to take a step of faith and trust God and, and go. And if you want to find out more, I just want to flag this. There's a magazine called Home, which we laughed about as you came in and saw our home coffee house this morning. Um, there's some copies of this, I think, on the book table, and our hosting team will have some. If you want to find out more about Rob and Liz and Care for Children, grab one of those. But I want us to respond by singing, but I also want us to respond by having these guys pray for us. And so can we just give these guys a massive round of applause and thank them for joining us?